Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Just wondering uh, how come every time I come around, my London, London Bridge want to go down? Your Lundy, Lundy, low want to go down? Precisely. But uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I actually... I saw Fergie at the Chargers Dolphins game on the sideline from a distance and was too starstruck to actually go up and say hello. Starstruck from a distance to Fergie. That sentence just doesn't match for me. And like Dan Marino was also down on the sideline, who was a teammate of my dad's. It was when dad was calling that Sunday night game. So we have been talking to Marino and all of a sudden someone comes over and taps him and is like, hey, Fergie would like to say hello to you. And I'm like, damn, Dan Marino is that famous. Now, obviously, Fergie, I I think, has been a Dolphins fan for a while, but that was just a reminder that there are levels even in the quarterback realm and Dan Marino's on a top one. Definitely, Mike. Uh, Shouts out to Fergie, one of the best Star Spangled Banners that we've ever gotten a chance to uh, experience. But is Dan Marino that rosy-cheeked and handsome in person? Yes. Yes, he is. That man has Mm. that South Florida glow all wrapped up. Uh, We got a great show for you guys today here. Field Yates. ESPN NFL Insider going to stop by. You can also catch him on the first draft podcast with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. He's just coming back from Indianapolis. He is going to get us all of the tea that comes from Combine Week and Weekend. Take us behind the inner workings there. Not only can you find him on the first draft podcast, you can find him on the very first podcast of Gojo if you're doing some binging. 
our very first show guest as we get launched this podcast maiden voyage field yates was there to help hold our hands and now he's coming back here so the triumphant return of field yates uh we get to do a bunch of good stuff with him obviously the inner workings of the combine all the dinners that everyone hears about in the late nights and how that actually helps people do their jobs better um nice what we learned about the top quarterbacks from this week some of the top defensive prospects including will anderson who i feel like has not gotten talked about much at all in the lead up to the combine at the combine itself so we talk about why that's been the case and what that means for him in the upcoming draft as well as lamar jackson and some other tidbits along the way so a lot of great stuff field is one of the more versatile talents and resources that espn has to offer and he's a great dude so we're excited to talk to him again We've also got updates on the John Morant situation uh, that we have to tap into and some tea that Rich Eisen spilled from over the weekend at the NFL Combine. But Brandon, yesterday was about folks getting paid. We had some news finally moving in the works of the NFL offseason quarterback carousel, and the first two dominoes fell. The first was Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. Completing one of the more... We talked about the Kelsey brothers having a banner year last year. Geno yeah. Smith has now put a cap on one of the more improbable all-time great years we've seen in recent memory. Who Geno came out and set a bunch of Seahawks single-season passing records, led the NFL in completion percentage last year, was the comeback player of the year, and now inked a three-year $105 million deal on top of all of that. Brandon, I saw this tweet actually from Field Yates, who will be joining the podcast, that puts it in perspective. Through the first 10 years of Geno Smith's career, he earned $17.5 million. Geno Smith's average annual value on his new contract is $35 million. He will make more in one year, including next year, where I believe in 2023, he's due with some math in there. $52 million in the first year of that deal. So he is going to by far eclipse his entire career's earning in one season. One of the more insane stories we've ever seen. It's honestly why you never give up. (laughs) Like I know a lot of people get pushed out of the game before they're ready to, but if you're able to play and be consistent and be a class act, I'm very happy for Geno Smith. I'm happy for football as a whole. Like, this is a guy who is genuinely humble, taking over for a franchise quarterback like Russell Wilson in Seattle. As, as tumultuous as that him getting out of there was, for him to have a season like this and the resolve the entire time, he never wrote back, and now he's getting paid. That is so true. We, uh, I think even now somehow forget the context he walked into. He was the rebound coming off of a messy divorce and yeah. made that success happen in the meantime. I tell you who the real winner is here, high school football coaches. Well, I promise you every high school football coach talking about what you just mentioned, belief, yes. sticking with it, no matter what, not giving up, is going to say, y'all ever heard of Geno Smith? They wrote him off, and guess what? He never wrote back. Never wrote back. I, I feel like the, the Michael Jordan got cut. JV is getting yes. a little too old. We need some more recent examples. So Geno Smith right there. Yeah, this recent example now comes with a fat dollar amount on the back end. So that story really gets a hammer thrown at the end. Um, the other deal that we saw come out yesterday was for Derek Carr who had gotten released by the Raiders after they couldn't negotiate a trade. Derek Carr signs a four-year, $150 million deal 
with the New Orleans Saints, that same team he visited before he left the Las Vegas Raiders and then said, no, I'm not going to let you guys trade me for anything. Uh, We're going to go down here and made it happen, which is equal parts petty and also... Yes. Saints don't really have a lot of money to just be throwing around. And so when you see this deal, Carr's going to receive $60 million fully guaranteed at signing, another $10 million once he starts year three. Like It's a backloaded deal, which is kind of what the Saints needed to do, where essentially a lot of that guaranteed money gets out of the way in the first couple of years. And then once you get to year three, you got I, I'm sure there's going to be like a void year on the back. They're going to have clever financing financial ways to help themselves on the back end because that's the shit the saints have to do when every year you're paying off one credit card with another what is it (laughs) that's a perfect analogy for it what is it 50 million dollars guaranteed if he's on the roster at year three uh, yeah, there's a, a bunch. So it's $60 million fully guaranteed signing. According to Pro Football Talk, Carr receives a $28.5 million signing bonus, and his 2023-24 base salaries are fully guaranteed, which is like $28.5 million and $1.5 million. That's where that $60 million uh, do it signing comes into play there. The rest, like... If he's on the roster March twenty March of next year, $10 million roster bonus will be due and his 2025 will become fully guaranteed. Like all the triggers that we see in a lot of these contracts, the financial mumbo-jumbo that makes it work for teams. It makes sense for the Saints. It makes perfect sense for Derek Carr. His value does come in him proving that he deserves to be on a team. So that's I like that's why I like the the money being backloaded because he's got to have some he's got to have a track record to to go into that money and the Saints have to see some stuff from him and some consistency from him in a new uniform for him to get the payout that he deserves on the back end. Yeah, he gets some money here up front to feel good about things, and in a couple years, it seems like New Orleans will kind of have the financial opportunity to reassess things as they go forward here for... Dennis Allen, that's a guy that he knows pretty well. He was a part of the Raiders organization when Carr got drafted back in 2014, so there's familiarity between the two of them there. Brandon, this is kind of the fit that we saw all along, right? It's the really obvious couple in the rom-com that everyone knows is eventually going to get together. It was fun when Derek Carr went up to New York and flirted with the Jets, but I'm sure at some point it became pretty obvious they're interested in somebody else. This Aaron Rodgers smoke probably has some fire underneath, and even though they reportedly whispered those sweet nothings about how, man, if you come in here and win one, you could be a first ballot Hall of Famer, At the end of the day, Derek Carr understood New Orleans was a place that was interested enough to bring him in while he was still under contract with the Raiders and they were seeking a trade partner, and they were always going to be the one. And for the Saints on the other side, again, you were $50 million over the cap about a week and a half ago. They're down to, I think, $18 million over the cap now. So they've got to be a little bit more cost-effective. And at this point now where we're at, $37.5 million annually for a quarterback is cost-effective, especially one like Derek Carr, who I get last year, statistically, pretty much one of his worst seasons of his career by and large. Like 14 interception last year were tied for his career high. Uh, 3,522 passing yards were the third lowest in his nine-year career. He struggled mightily, and there was a lot of change that went on, new regime coming in, all these things that we can excuse it away, but 
Derek Carr has played a lot of really good, a lot of underrated football with the Raiders that just weren't appreciated because in the John Gruden era, there were all the other controversies and things floating around there. Derek Carr stepped up big leadership-wise for them. So I think they got a pretty good quarterback, right? Like a top half of the league quarterback on his best day. And it's just going to be what can they keep around him with the financial constraints that they've got there. For a franchise that thought that they can make Taysom Hill – and Jameis Winston, the answer to their their quarterback woes, I mean, they don't make the best decisions there. And I think Derek Carr gives some stability and also an opportunity to stop pointing the finger at the quarterback for a little bit. Yeah, I, I think with Jameis Winston, you were betting on upside, right? You bought like an old sports car and you're like, yeah, you know, I can fix up a few things on it and make this thing really fly. You bought a nice, dependable midsize SUV with Derek Carr. And yes. in that division, like what it nets you, we remain to be seen. I don't know what the ceiling looks like for this team. I don't think you're going to win a Super Bowl with the roster as currently constructed there in New Orleans, but, but you can win the NFC South because the rest of that division sucks and is in transition right now. Uh, listen, the the Super Bowl is over. Now we deem who's winning the NFC or who's winning divisions based on their rosters. And I think right now the Saints look like the winners in the NFC South. If you were to stop time right now, yes, we'll wait and see yeah. what the Panthers do in the draft, all that stuff. But it, it yeah. Because this division's bad, it wasn't going to take much to put you in contention, especially having the only mature veteran quarterback right now rostered by really any of these teams. And so we'll wait and see what happens there. With Geno and the Seahawks, they were a playoff team last year. And so that'll be the expectation yet again. Young players at some key positions on that roster. We talked about Tariq Woolen on defense um, and, and, you know, some of that on offense as well. But, Brandon, this also kind of looks out into the larger NFL landscape with both of these because all of the offseason quarterback situations feel kind of interconnected. Now, I think to some extent Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson are kind of in their own sphere. I don't think either of these contracts – in any way affects what's going on with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. These weren't teams that we had really talked about being in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, and these aren't deals that financially are going to be within that range. But one does have kind of a tie to Aaron Rodgers in that Derek Carr was the other woman whispered about in New York with the Jets, and now the Jets are in a really uncomfortable spot because for so long, they felt like they had that Derek Carr safety valve where it's, all right, well, you know what? Uh, I can wait and see if Aaron Rodgers calls me back, more talented, more accomplished, going to make our team ceiling a lot higher, and then if that doesn't work out, I can send the late night text to Derek Carr. Now your safety valve is gone. And if you're the Jets, you're sitting around waiting on the whims of Aaron Rodgers. That is the most Jets place to be humanly possible. That cannot be comfortable. It seems like that's the place that you have to be if you're in bed with Aaron Rodgers because that's where the Packers have been. What is it, the third offseason in a row? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's never not complicated. And if you're the Jets, you've been away from success so long, it seems worth it. But now it's deeply uncomfortable because, man, if you swing and miss on that, which would be a particularly hilarious outcome, 
I just don't think you can walk back empty-handed into the season. It can't be Mike White and Zach Wilson. And so now you're talking about, all right, maybe we see what Jimmy Garoppolo's doing. Now that Jameis Winston is probably going to be a cap casualty with the Saints, maybe he ends up being a guy that you can give a ring on that front. And so all of a sudden, you're just going to end up being in the make a move for the sake of a move. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo would be an upgrade. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, I think would be enough to give you a little bit of a good feeling, but it's certainly relative to where you started off this offseason going to feel like a letdown, however you slice it, if Rodgers isn't wearing Jets black and green this fall. Yeah, there's a bunch of just bad options out there for them. Not bad options, like... Jacoby Brissett could possibly bring some stability to the to the Jets and, and Jacoby Brissett did games. play very well last year before yes. Deshaun Watson came back in Cleveland. I think that was one of the midseason storylines that we really talked about was quietly with that Browns team and all of the chaos surrounding them. Jacoby Brissett, who has done this a bunch in his career, came in and steadied Steady that shit Eddie. very well. Yeah, very much so. And then you obviously got Aaron Dalton in 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 um Matt Ryan, no one should really want to touch touch that. So yeah, there's there's not a lot of options uh, for the Jets right now. But I mean, for a team that beat the Packers during the regular season the way they did, it's just it just sucks that they're in this position right now. But I just don't I don't believe in the Packers even with Aaron Rodgers. Like I think at the end of the day, we're going to look at Matt Lafleur a little sideways when it comes to his ending of his tenure with the Packers. Yeah, I just don't know how much Matt Le- more let Matt LaFleur could have done. He's kind of caught between a power struggle that goes over his head a little bit. And so that's the uncomfortable position the Jets are in. The Giants feel connected to this also because Daniel Jones' contract mm. is the one that's waiting in yes. the wing. We're getting up to the potential of him getting franchise tag while they keep working this out because we hear all these reports of them offering him – you know, annual average annual values in the high $30 million range, Daniel Jones and the reports you hear of him wanting 45 million plus. Like I still think the deal ultimately gets done, but these kind of tell you where we're at with the quarterback market now, right? For Geno Smith, he's making 30, uh, three years, 105, so like $35 million a year type range for him. Derek Carr, $37.5 million a year range. And Gino and Derek are both around our age. I think they're both 32. Derek's been in the league right. nine years. Gino's been in the league about 10 years now. And so for Daniel Jones, part of the reason his price tag is going to be higher is he was the Giants' first round draft pick. He was their guy. He is younger. I think he's, what, 25 years old, something in that range? Let me double check that. But um, that idea that that's why he's going to cost you a little bit more. Yeah, Daniel Jones, 25 years old. And so I still think ultimately he's going to end up north of that $40 million a year mark, probably just barely. But this is probably a good reminder of why. Because we looked at these deals with Geno Smith and Derek Carr and said, oh, these are comfortable and these make sense. Yeah, Mike, but I... Long-term deals obviously are preferred for everyone. Maybe not everyone, but definitely the players. I just feel like there is this stigma on franchise tags that I don't fully understand. Like, obviously, I I feel like the flexibility is there. The opportunity to make money is there. The, the, the lack of commitment may be like a hit to the ego, but it's called the not for long league for a reason. Like, I, I feel like the franchise tag should be more 
uh, more of a badge and honor than a scarlet letter that people are treating it to be. Fear of injury is the reason. Like you're one injury away from okay. that one year commitment being the only money you get versus the security of going out there, especially if you're a guy like Daniel Jones, who is a part of the run game, who puts his body on the line, who one hit could change your future. If you're out there playing on the tag, we've seen it happen to guys before. And it's also a bit of a pride thing. I would imagine too of, Hey, I'm the guy you drafted in the first round. And this last year finally looked like we wanted it to. Why wouldn't you want to keep me around at a number that is essentially the going rate at this point, like the way that we're creeping up. So I looked at these two deals and to me saw even more reason why I think that Daniel Jones number will probably be some kind of in the range like this three to four years. Like, I don't think it's going to be a five plus year deal. That's going to be a massive long-term extension. I still think there's going to be some things they want to find out. But seeing these two guys further along in their career, Derek Carr coming off one of his worst seasons versus Daniel Jones, where the arrow finally looked like it was going up plus all that youth, I think that's all the more reason why a player with his age and upside and the point that that franchise is in right now with their coaching staff could probably get a little bit north of $40 million a year for a shorter deal. Well, I think one of the biggest differences, Mike, is Daniel Jones is the Giants offense. And they're hoping Derek Carr can help and be that big big puzzle piece for their offense. But the Giants have their guy, and and they got to get him paid. Well, I, this thing is, I still don't know if they have their guy long term. They've got their guy for right now, and I think they've got a guy that can help them man that spot while they see. All right, with Brian Dable, does this arrow keep going up? Do we keep seeing the improvement? Because like you look at the numbers last year, Geno Smith and Daniel Jones side-by-side side had the same total QBR, Geno Smith a little higher completion percentage, but Geno Smith was much more a part of the passing offense, especially early. 4,282 yards for Geno Smith versus just 3,200 yards passing for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones attempted 300, or 472 passes. Geno Smith attempted almost 100 more. Geno Smith threw twice the amount of touchdowns that Daniel Jones through last season and took almost the same amount of sacks with that with that uptick in volume. I mean, Daniel Jones is much more part of the run game, but the Giants say, yeah. were not a dynamic passing team last year. Part of that's the weapon, certainly, but it just underscores we remain to see what Daniel Jones is going to offer you on a consistent basis as a passer who, if you're paid in the $40 million range, you got to be able to drop back and deal when it counts. That's the expectation, so... So that's, I, I think all of those, again, kind of feeling interconnected feels like what that sort of underscores, but uh, it's going to be exciting to see because a lot of this stuff is coming up to a head here as we get forward into the coming weeks as the new league year starts and round and round we go. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to our good friend and the first ever guest of the Gojo podcast, ESPN NFL insider Field Yates next. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? 
They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Uh, I came back, I had no voice. I came back and I was dealing with like general soreness. I was like, what, what has gone? What, what has happened to me? And three days, three days later, I feel better, but, uh, it was like a very, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you and I can't quite say like, you know, how old we are. We're not old enough yet to really feel old. And this was one of those rare weekends where I was like, I kind of feel old. It's starting to get to the point where it adds up now. Definitely. And I feel like the combine. So like for you, like you obviously had a bunch of experience from the combine while you're in the league and then now covering it as an analyst. Like those are long days. I have not been to the combine. So for anyone that hasn't made the trek to Indianapolis field, like take us behind the velvet rope of what the NFL combine experience is like and why you're dealing with general soreness now. I, I'm trying to think who it was. I think it might have been Big Cat who said this recently on part of my take. Uh, he may have described it as, um, or someone who on the show described it as the NFL spring break, which is basically what it is. So if you think about it, there's really no other circumstance in which you would expect representation from all 32 teams, both from the coaching staff and the scouting staff, plus a conglomerate of media that now is in like the thousands. Like there was a time where it was probably dozens of media members there. Some of the people that I think we've been reading for 30 years, whether it's Peter King or John McClain or people that are like, you know, Mort has been there forever, right? People that have been doing it like for a long time that were kind of part of the hardcore football media, which now there's so many outlets covering it. And there's a radio row. I mean, there's Lord knows how many TV setups are there. It's, It's truly astounding how many people are there. But as a result of everybody being there, it's become really in some ways for someone like me, not even about how fast Jackson Smith and Jigba runs a three cone or how many reps, you know, your favorite offensive lineman puts up. For me, it is the one opportunity during the year where every minute of my day can be occupied meeting somebody, um, whether it's somebody from a team, whether it's somebody uh, from an agency, whether it's somebody from a fellow, you know, some other fellow media member. Uh, and so the teams are busy during the day. So like NFL teams and the, the schedule shifted each each year. And this year was definitely uh, more unconventional than usual. But like traditionally up until this year, NFL teams were up early, like 6 a.m. for the weigh-ins. Mm-hmm. These players would go, they'd weigh in, they'd get down to their, you know, literally just their boxers and you'd have some people that were like the way in people. And it was like, that's my seat, third row, third row, uh, third seat in from the left. Like, that's where I go every year. And it was just like, no, right? Like the Steelers scout who was always in the bo- in a top right corner, right? Write everything down on hands. Like, no need for an Excel spreadsheet or anything like that. So it used to be the morning was like weigh-ins and then any other medical testing and physical testing. And then at nighttime from like eight to 11 were these formal interviews where players were going and meeting with the teams, uh, either a formal or informal basis. The formal ones were like 15 minute time slots. The informal ones 
I can tell you it was like uh, it, it was like a game of musical chairs meets prom. Um, I remember doing it like the year that uh, 2010 was a notable draft when I was still in my scouting days because you had not just a lot of really good players at the top, including Indomik and Sue, who was this legendary college defensive player who you knew was going to go really high, but also you had Tim Tebow. And I'm just telling you, like the Tim Tebow hype was not simply a media creation. Like, you know, it was it was something that teams were fascinated by as well. The guy went in the first round, obviously. Um, but then, and then during the day, there was the athletic testing on the field. Uh, but the best part of the combine, at least for people in our side of the industry, is the nighttime festivities, which... Probably a lot of people listening to this podcast by now uh, are aware of, but you know it's it's the one chance for people to all meet up in the same spots. And there's like, you know, there's a handful of locations that are well known. Prime Forty Seven is a steakhouse in Indianapolis where everybody finds their way to at one point or another during the week. People are out very very late, and I'm talking like three, four, five a.m. late um, to the point that uh, you wonder how anybody gets anything done during the day. Um, my stamina is probably like not quite that good anymore. Uh, but yeah, like I came home after a few nights there and was more tired than I am generally. And I've got a one-year-old kid and another baby coming soon. Like I don't sleep that much these days. Uh, when I do, it's like very, it's, it's something that I, when I get the chance to, I take advantage of it. Um, so that's a part that's the beauty of the combine though, is a chance to meet up with people and invariably when you're out and people are in some cases imbibing, they are also getting a little bit more loose lipped and it's, it becomes an information exchange, right? That is why there are several pieces that we are reading right now and people talking about the various notes and nuggets they picked up at the combine because people are a lot more willing uh, to speak freely uh, in person and in that setting than they are uh, during other times of the year when the natural barrier of being on the phone or not necessarily knowing that person like you think you know that person cause them to be a bit more guarded. That's that's interesting. So you'll actually have people like is there not like a huddle before you go to the combine with everybody from the team side? Like, listen, we can't be out here giving up any of this information. I don't care how hopped up on you are from to- cocktail sauce and St. Elmo's. We need you to lock it down here. No chance. <laughs> it actually is amazing. It actually is amazing how willing people are to uh, to tra- exchange information. And by the way, I mentioned you know teams, coaches, and scouts, but every agent or almost every agency is there too, right? And as you know, uh, we are now let's see, seven days away from the time that you and I are having this conversation from when the legal negotiating window opens, which means that when we got to Indy last week, we were just fourteen days. And I would say that really the NFL free agency kicks off in earnest at the combine because every team spending all day meeting with agents and trying to figure out if you have Levante David as your clients and if, if he's going to return to the Buccaneers, what does that contract structure looks like? If he's not, he's going to test the open market and maybe change teams for the first time in his career. What does that deal look like? And then you're comparing that with, all right, well, um, if you are interested in David Long, another linebacker who's younger than Levante David, his first chance at a bite at the apple, so to speak, because he hasn't been a free agent before. What does that number look like? And um, one of the questions I get most often when people are asking me just about sort of what we do is they always ask, all right, so if you are getting information from somebody, from a source, what is the return that you are offering that person that incentivizes them to share information with you? And I tell them that like, I hope that like most of the relationships are built off of trust and an understanding that, you know, 
it, it, it is not necessarily like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, but just like when given the opportunity to potentially assist that individual, it works both ways, right? Uh, but I also think that a very natural portion of what we do is, and this certainly rears itself at the combine, is like we're all humans. Um, if you have information that's juicy or savory, like sometimes it's just hard to keep your mouth shut, right? Like just imagine the town gossip that goes around and it's like, did you hear what so-and-so did on Friday night? I shouldn't tell you, but it's like, oh, well, now you have to tell me, right? And it's like the minute you started talking, you knew that you were going to go down a path you really shouldn't have gone down. But that's just like, that's it's how our minds work and are triggered is like when you have information, you have power and there is a certain internally gratifying feeling to be the person that can share important information with somebody else, even if there is no return that you're getting back from. It's so interesting. We talk about the human element of sports so often, and I think that's a great reminder that there's a human element to all of this and the relationships and what that ends up netting on the other side. It sounds like exactly a byproduct of that in that situation. It's also interesting to consider what you just described as it relates to like what's going on with Lamar Jackson right now, who is not yeah. being represented. And so the combine is just one space that's an example of this, but these are areas where how does he get presented in these spots? Is there anything or anyone? I know he gets help from the PA, but how are you going to get anyone ag advocating for you in all these areas where normally, like you said, representation is out there doing that work for you? You know, what's so interesting is of the players that were brought up the most unsolicited during the week of the combine when I was there, a few that were at the top of the list. Daniel Jones was certainly there just because of how unique the circumstances are. But I think we all feel like we have a bit more information. Maybe that's because Daniel Jones, even though he changed representation recently, does have representation. And maybe you just sort of assume that like both sides are motivated to uh, share some of their particulars in order to get a deal done. But a couple of the players that were brought up a bunch um, were Orlando Brown Jr. from the Chiefs. Who, by the way, he, he, I think he's working with an advisor, but does not have a, I believe, unless this has changed, but last year he was not working with a certified NFL agent. And same with Lamar Jackson. Now, part of the reason why you're talking about them a lot is that Lamar Jackson's one of the most dynamic players in league history. And Orlando Brown Jr. plays a premium position and is the best one available at left tackle. But still, it was sort of like people are at, what are you hearing? Because it's like, I think that when you don't have representation uh, for these individuals, you're just out in the dark more. Um, and so I, I have I have found with the Lamar Jackson story that I have tried to parse through all of whatever available information we've had, um, but it's hard to figure out exactly where the truth lies because I will say if you went back from this moment to probably two years ago, which was when Lamar was first eligible to sign an extension, I think we've heard a lot of different details. I don't know how often those details fully align with each other, right? Uh, the guaranteed portion of the contract has seemingly been a different figure every time you read a piece on it. And this is not, by the way, to diminish the efforts of those that are reporting on it. I think it just speaks to how unique the situation is and how normally we have a lot of info and in a lot of cases it tends to align comparably um, with Lamar, that's not the case. And um, 
I'm hopeful that this comes to a conclusion, uh, not just because Lamar Jackson deserves a lot of money and it's good for the league and it's good for the Ravens if they get a deal done with him, but also because I do feel like more so than most stories, uh, we're kind of chasing a ghost right now because there just simply isn't that side. He's being represented by his mother, of course, but you know she is not you know in her in her her other times of life is not an NFL agent, so it's just different. Uh, than most other dynamics when you have a player who has a more traditional setup. It's true. We have kind of ground this thing into dust right now, and everyone gets asked to come on these shows and try and offer some new opinion, and there really isn't. We're all waiting to see what happens there. So let's digest the new information we got from the Combine instead. Outside of the meeting of the minds and all the late-night drinks, there's also the business of what went on on the field. Everyone understandably focused on the quarterback's Bryce Young, height and weight, everything Anthony Anthony Richardson did on the field. My question is, did we learn anything new about any of those top quarterbacks that came into this week field? I think that we, uh, first of all, I always look at the combine as a piece of the puzzle. And because the reality of the draft is that um, this past week, the combine was all the talk. And two weeks from now, all the talk will be about how Bryce Young throws at his pro day because he did not throw at the combine or how Anthony Richardson throws at his pro day, or how C.J. Stroud or Will Levis throw at their respective pro days. Uh, so it's it's not, uh, the combine did not decide anything, but it what it does, each of those pieces of the puzzle uh, affords you the opportunity or makes you think through things mm-hmm. more so than you already have. And you, obviously, you not only are a huge college football fan, of course, you call college football games <clears throat> during the season, and if and I, I don't I don't know. Did you do any Florida games this year? I did. And I, feel like I did week one against Utah. So I did okay. the Anthony uh, Richardson game to end all yeah. games. I was gonna say, so that you're the outlier then, because there are a lot of people that you know that are college football friends, uh fans that are friends of mine that are like, no way. Yeah. No way. They're like, I watched football this year. There's no way that guy is gonna end up being uh, you know, a top five pick in the NFL or a top ten pick in the NFL, even a first round pick in the NFL, right? And we've seen that from some of the media as well. Like, this guy? The guy who was so up and down this past year, who like uh, his his bad plays were indescribably bad. Uh, you and I have talked about this a bunch in the past, but just like if you were to put together a 15-play YouTube highlight uh, of each of the quarterback's best plays from this year's class, uh, there's no doubt, and just rank them off that, Anthony Richardson might be the best we've seen in like 10 years, right? Because his absolute best is silly Patrick Mahomes type stuff, Right. The, was, it, was it against Utah where he had the 360 touchdown yes. throw? One of like, one of the most insane plays I've ever seen in person in my life. Like just jaw-droppingly awesome stuff. And he's now confirmed six foot four and a quarter of an inch, 244 pounds, and ran a 4-4-3. Like that is rare athletic ability. So back to the question about what we learned. Here's what I would say is what we learned is that this draft class is going to be defined by the quarterbacks. And that this draft class does not necessarily have the traditional depth of a draft going into the event. And I say that very specifically because there's always going to be guys that end up being better players than we think they're going to be going into the draft. There's going to be five, six, or seventh round picks. All right. Like, you know, last year, if anybody told you that Isaiah Pacheco at the time of the draft was going to end up being like a really important player for a Super Bowl champion team. You would have been like, probably not, but um, I guess that's how the draft works. Again, they're going to be more better players than we realize. But right now, the strength of this class, not exactly up to snuff relative to previous drafts, but 
the quarterbacks are going to be the straw that stirs the drink. And in a league where this year specifically, you can make a case, in my opinion, credibly, that if you go through the top 10, obviously the Bears are at one, so we can't worry about them. The Texans have picked two. The Colts have picked four. I had said originally the Panthers have picked nine. The Falcons have picked eight. And I want to throw it like, I think the Raiders Mm. at pick seven, and even the Lions and Seahawks at six and five, all of them there's a credible case to move up for. And the reason being is that whether you lump Anthony Richardson into this top tier of quarterbacks or not, there's at maximum four quarterbacks in this draft class that will go early in the proceeding at the legal perceive as future you know, potential long-term starters. So I think that was revealed more this week is that um, we always tend to weight a draft class by how the quarterbacks are. It's part of the reason why the buzz last year was a bit different than a normal NFL draft with obviously just one first-round quarterback and that first-round pick being 21 for Kenny Pickett. This year, though, it's going to be a headlining draft because of those quarterbacks. But I think beyond that, while there still are plenty of good players, this is a... I think uh, a year where like moving up for a quarterback in the draft and mortgaging some of your other draft capital in 2023, not the worst thing to do. I think that um, there just aren't that many blue chip players that aren't quarterbacks in this year's draft. No, I I think that's a good reminder. Like you said, piece of the puzzle, especially considering, you know, what you know, X person's favorite team might think about in free agency then when it comes to addressing some of those needs also. Looking at the quarterback still, before we get to some of the other non-QBs that popped there, you talked about Anthony Richardson, the physical outliers on the other side. And every time I get ready for draft season, I have your voice ringing in the back of my head where it's, we draft traits in the NFL, not production. So the ultimate example of that may be Bryce Young. From a scouting standpoint, how worried would you be if you're scouting for a team looking at Bryce Young and what he gave you on the field, which is, I think, the best in this class, but also the 5'10", 204 of it that we saw measured officially? Yeah, and that's like the kind of the opposite of if Anthony Richardson, right? Where it's like the traits are the only thing right now that he can firmly stand on for top 10 consideration, right? A 50-something percent completion percentage, 13 total starts, up and down season last year. Like, that does not scream first-round pick, but you're absolutely right. It's the golden rule of scouting. Bryce Young is totally fascinating. There is, I I would say that there are a lot of people in the NFL that see it the same way. Um, And this is is probably like too low-hanging fruit by now for me to state, but I'll just say it one more time in this forum is that like, if he's six foot three and two hundred and twenty pounds, there's no conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, what he's able to do, at, like his diagnostic skills are off the charts. His accuracy is really good. His leadership on the field is really good. He's incredibly smart. I think that the two hundred four is an important number. Um, I think though that what we're finding is it's not so much what you think about how he can handle like an individual play. It's what you think Bryce Young can do over the course of what you hope to be a very long career. Mm. And will that 204 ever matter? Um, is it going to prevent him from being a 10 or 12-year starter who you can count on being on the field every single play? It's just hard. And I, I'm, I'm Bryce, I'm, I met Bryce uh, at the Super Bowl and obviously saw him last week in Indy as well. And I'm 
5'10 myself, right? I don't know how many eighths of an inch I am, but I am basically the exact same height as Bryce Young. He's got me by, you know, 25, 30 pounds now. Uh, but like the idea of someone with my frame taking hits from Aaron Donald or Chris Jones or Von Miller, whoever it is, it's like super, that's like daunting. So um, it's a comfort thing. And I think that Bryce, like, I think it was an important number to get above. Like if he had come in at 180, it would have been a real, like that would have been scary. And I know that weight can become artificial. Um, but I think teams are finding that um, you're, like you're, you're only going to get like Bryce Young is only going to go to one team, and whoever takes him, like it might be. I'm, I think there's a very compelling case that they believe he's just the best player in the draft at the quarterback spot. But if Bryce Young goes second amongst the quarterbacks, and the team that gets him actually wanted whoever went ahead of him, let's just as an example make this CJ Stroud, might be like you're you're gonna have to talk yourself into some component of this player and that's that's the only drawback for Bryce Young is that his size is just it's unique relative to every starting quarterback in the NFL the uh, measurements are basically identical uh, between he and Kyler Murray I'm just telling you if you sat if you sat next to both of them you would notice a decidedly different body type um Kyler Murray is built like a fire hydrant Bryce Young is built like me. And, uh, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, a very, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm whatever, not, I'm like dollar stores, dollar store version of Bryce Young, but still like neither one of us is physically imposing is what I'm trying to get at. So, um, but he's just so, so good on the field and such a good human and like such a natural leader. And like, I am sure I don't know this for, you know, I'm, every team's, uh, inter- interview process is a bit different and their experience is a bit different, but like, He's going to crush all that stuff, right? He handles himself extremely well. Being the Alabama quarterback yeah. is probably the closest thing to be an NFL quarterback because of the praise and the accolades when things are going well and then the pressure when things aren't going so well. Um, I have no doubts about the intangibles for Bryce Young. I just don't know. Like, you know, Josh Allen delivers pain. Like, is Bryce Young going to be able to sustain the same level? Uh, and I'm not talking about design run hits, but I'm just talking like, you know, one blind side. Zach, where you get cracked in the middle of your back by an edge rusher who's two, you know, Daniil Hunter who's two hundred and seventy-five pounds coming off the edge. Like it's just a it's a scary, scary thought in some ways. But that's weighed against the fact that if you keep him upright, he's gonna torch you just like he did against the very best defenses, including Georgia a couple of years ago when he threw for like four hundred and twenty-three yards and five touchdowns in a game. Yeah, there's, again, you go back to the tape and you're going to find a ton of stuff that you like, but it is certainly not that simple. Um, The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Looking outside the quarterback's field, you mentioned it. Not a ton of depth. You know, people talk about running back, tight end, things like that that aren't necessarily the sexiest in this draft. Who do you think helped themselves the most coming off this weekend as far as getting more people to turn an eye their way and check on some of that tape? So I would say as a position, we were reminded, just to your point, like the tight end group is just like rock solid. Like they're just – and but the difference is that – there's not a there's not a Kyle Pitts in this class. Yeah. Like I don't know who the highest drafted one will be. Probably Michael Mayer, if I had to guess from Notre Dame. But like, is he like a top fifteen pick, top twenty pick, somewhere in that range? Uh, but just because like you don't see like you can you could see four or five go in the first two rounds, which is probably a bigger number than you normally see. But none of them is Kyle Pitts uh, or a player uh, of that athletic ilk. Um, in terms of like individuals that I thought helped themselves a bit this week. This is a little bit of it's interesting. It's kind of a it's it's a yin and yang case. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba for Ohio State did not run the forty, uh, and at this time last year, like there were some who thought that the real prize of the Ohio State receiver room was Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was playing alongside Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, the offensive rookie of the year, and the guy that some people thought should have won offensive rookie of the year. But he was limited to three games this past year, or three catches this past year. It was just like a very bizarre year. He had a hamstring injury early, and initially it seemed like he'd be back soon, and then he never made it back. Um, but the final game that he played of, of consequence in his college career was the Rose Bowl 14 months ago, where he set the college football single-game bowl record with the receiving yardage. We saw him on uh, on the field this past week in the workout drills, buttery smooth. I mean, he's everything – uh, is advertised his change of direction, which is measured in a lot of different ways, but the three cone and the shuttle are probably two of the best indicators amongst the combine drills. Uh, those both were uh, very, I mean, like extremely strong for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, the knock on him when you talk to people that are evaluating him is like, does he have the breakaway speed? No. Does he have the dynamic size? No. Uh, but he is kind of good at everything and in a wide receiver class that doesn't have a Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, or even going further back than that, you know, guys taking in the top five or seven picks. Um, that's, that's not the kind of wide receiver you're getting if you take the first one off the board this year. But I think there's a chance that Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, in least, in least in the eyes of some solidified his case as the top wide receiver on the board. Feel there's one guy I feel like, that we haven't gotten to yet in the draft process. And I know, you know, guys pop for different reasons. There's the way our media cycles work and we cover all this stuff, but for how much he got almost set aside as one of the guys in that number one pick conversation for most of the year, what's the buzz on Will Anderson right now? So glad. It's so funny. I had a feeling you were going this direction. Um, He's boring because he's just so damn good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just like so uh i mean the reality of why his his buzz is down this year is because only 10 and a half sacks this year after 18 the year before right but just think about like the impossible standard he set for himself he had one of the greatest seasons for a defensive player in college football history two years ago he comes back you know a different defense at alabama obviously lost a bunch of guys as they do every single year but some important guys 
on that defense. You know, I was talking to a couple people that are in no position to draft uh, Will Anderson, which is oftentimes the best insight you get, right? Because people at the top of the draft either feel like they have to be protective or they have to kind of like amplify the guys that they think they might take. But I always try to make sure that I ask those guys about players that are maybe further further down the board and then the inverse, right? Talk to teams, picking whatever, 20 that have no chance at Will Anderson. And that's to get the unsolicited stuff. And they're just like, couldn't like, easiest pick in the draft, right? Like the floor is extremely high. Um, this is a, a name. I, I've talked about this with, with Mina Kimes uh, and I use this comparison and uh, people in the, in the league agree with it. Is that like, what you don't know with Will Anderson is whether you're getting Josh Sweat or Von Miller. Mm. But like if Josh Sweat's the floor, oh, like a 10-sack player per year, like that sounds great. Or a guy who could be in the defensive player of the year running every single year like Von Miller was for a stretch. That also sounds great to me. So I had a good week, ran in the, I think, 4 6 nine, 40. Uh, You know, he's just such, he's just so good. You know he's extremely well coached, scheme versatile, play as a, you know, put his hand in the dirt, plays a defensive end, stand up outside linebacker, amazing kid. Um, if one of the teams, and we were talking about how quarterback uh, trades are going to shift the top of the draft board, um, but depending on how far the board down the board Chicago gets, easy pick for them. Arizona, if they don't make a move, easy pick for them. If Seattle stands pat at five and uh, the four quarterbacks, or at least three of the four quarterbacks go ahead of them, Easy pick for Seattle at number five. I'm trying to think of a perfect analog for uh, Will Anderson. There probably isn't one, but uh, just like he checks every box. Like the, as far as players that don't give me any pause, top of the list for me. So that's actually a, a perfect segue. And I think kind of closing at the open of the combine because the yeah. story that started the weekend was the other defensive player that got talked about in the number one overall spot, Jalen Carter and the warrant for his arrest that was issued the day he was supposed to speak at the combine, the day he was supposed to be up at the podium. Obviously that kicked the combine off and there was a lot of time since then. I'm just curious, and this may be too early to tell, but what did you hear from people around there as far as how all of this clouds, how teams are going to view him come April in the draft? So, yes, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, too. It's an interesting one. So, first of all, as far as, like, pure football ability, it's him or maybe Will Anderson is, like, the best players in the draft, right? Throwaway position, just, like, just ridiculous. I mean, he was the best player on the first team or the best defensive team this past year. And, you know, again, first team to go back-to-back college football championships, college football national champion in the, in the playoff era. Um, you know, a defense is going to have several other guys drafted and probably a few of them in the first round as well. Like Jalen Carter was an alpha one of one. Right. Um, obviously the incident's extremely sad. I mean, you've got two people that are dead and Jalen Carter was at least near the incident at the night, uh, that it all went down. And, um, as you mentioned, like an arrest warrant was issued and, he released a statement saying that he would be exonerated of those charges. Uh, as of the time of this conversation, we don't know any further updates, so it could be that's the case. This is, we were talking about pieces of the puzzle earlier, another reminder that um, like there's going to be stuff that we don't know about these players that teams are going to know is going to fit into the equation. Um, and when you're making an investment in a player, especially now with the new rookie wage scale, where it's down from where it was 
back in like the Sam Bradford era. I think he was the last first overall pick uh, to get that crazy $72 million fully guaranteed contract. But if Jalen Carter goes in the top five, he's still going to get himself like $27, $28 million fully guaranteed over four years. It's, it's legit money. You're not just investing in a player, you're investing in the person. And uh, my colleague, Todd McShay, of course, you know very well, took some heat on the internet maybe like two months ago, maybe three months ago now. Um, But he made a comment about how like they're going to be teams digging in on the character of Jalen Carter. And people, when this incident took place, you know, people are like, oh, maybe Todd knew what he's talking about. And I'm not like... What, I'm not trying to make an example of this specific moment or not, but it's just like there are going to be players that are going to fall down draft boards based off of their character. And a lot of that stuff is not going to be revealed to us because when we talk about character, it's not simply limited to like, did the guy get in trouble with the law? It's okay. This guy has got a plus talent with C plus drive, right? I mean, you went to one of the best football programs in the country and played there. And, you know, obviously, like, your success was not just because you're a natural talent. You're obviously one of the hardest working people, not just in our industry, but you would admit, like, your own uh, football career was in large part dictated because you like, refused to let people be greater than you. Um, but there are guys, I'm sure you play with guys that were not nearly as motivated intrinsically as you were. And that's part of the character of, of, of the NFL. And, we see it every year. I mean, just go through previous drafts, look at the hit rate, and you'll find out that, I don't know, 50% of first-round picks work out, maybe maybe 60, you know, but there are years where it's lower than that. And why? Some of it's bad luck, injuries, et cetera, but a lot of it is like you just don't have the right person there. And guys just flame out because when they get to the big leagues and they're no longer – several standard deviations more talented than the next guy to the guy next to them. They just are like the competition has been leveled and they don't care enough to stand out and stand above the rest of their, you know, their field. So um, that is a long, long winded way of saying that as is the case with all prospects, like you're going to have to look into what you're getting as a person in Jalen Carter. Now there have been several examples that I will point out that people have vouch for the character of Jalen Carter. That certainly came uh, to the forefront uh, when the initial comment was made. But I think that uh, that's going to be one of the interesting storylines over the next, what do we have, eight or so weeks before the draft, seven weeks? Because uh, maybe, I don't know, 10 days or five days ago, you would have thought, hey, he's going to the first round, top five, no problem. And I don't know where he's going now. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but I have no idea where to value him at based off of what happened this past week. It's so true, and there's a lot more information we'll find out about that before we get to draft day that'll certainly inform that, but no doubt in totality with everything else you mentioned makes that an even more impactful story in a lot of ways on the football side. Obviously, like you said, there are much more serious elements to that story that will always be in the foreground of that conversation. Field, I could sit here and talk about the draft, talk about all this all day with you, man. We appreciate your time so much. Rest up that general soreness. I have a feeling it's just a minor setback for a major comeback right now as you've got a lot of yeah, dadding to do. 
Let's go. A lot of dadding to do, and this is great to be back. We, we, you were, you and I were texting about this. The first person to ever join the show. So, do you have like a? Do you keep a, like a Mina Kimes leaderboard where she? I should think Dan Stanzik, like the producer of her show, does this. Do you keep a running tally of who's been on the show the most? We haven't d- gone and jotted it down yet. I think as we get close to the one year mark, we probably a little bit need to take a little bit of stock. And you're right. Yeah. We probably need to have some sort of like gold jacket made for you in the inner circle of the people who <laughs> helped us out and were there at the very beginning and you were guest number one so the triumphant return of field yates back to the podcast man we love it well a lot of the uh, i mean obviously a lot of the people you have on the show are people that i admire greatly and i just i'm trying to think of like who do i want to stay ahead of most Ooh. i'm trying to think there's some some good i was gonna say ones there. the mean the mina kimes yeah. katie nolan like i know you're ahead of yeah. like dan orlovsky and a lot of the other espn yep. contingent there yeah, so yeah. Here's a sleeper candidate for you, Charlotte Wilder, who I go way back with and uh, is going to be marrying one of my best friends, by the way. Here's a little fun fact. Inside media tidbit there. So um, I'll make sure I stay ahead. of. Well, you know what? My wedding gift to them will be like having fewer appearances on the Gojo show than, than she does. <laughs> See, you know what? Feels that's reasonable enough, right? I say that's that's great. It's a little bit outside the box, something different. It yeah. helps you stand out as a part of that wedding. So I always forget about that connection too for Charlotte, who will be joining us tomorrow. A reminder. That, oh, look at that. Yeah. I'd say back to back here. We've got a sense for that yeah. cosmic energy. So I will remind her that you are doing her a solid because you appreciate her and her now fiance so much. Okay. I mean, I you know, the least I can do, right? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Brandon, you know, one other thing I was thinking about just in the Derek Carr and New Orleans conversation is I do wonder if Derek Carr signing down there is enough to keep the Saints wanting to extend this Michael Thomas relationship. Because remember at the end of the season, they restructured his deal in a way that made people wonder if there was going to be a decision made about him early on in this offseason about if his future would continue, you know, the injuries and some of the trouble in paradise that we had felt for the last couple of seasons there i think michael thomas tweeted like thank you god or something when the Derek carr signing went down that would be pretty huge for them considering chris Olave was awesome last year and if you've yeah. got those two and alvin Kamara there on offense with Derek carr and that o-line you feel like you got a pretty good shot at something high functioning on that side of the ball you do mike but i i it's been too long since Michael Thomas has made the splash that we've seen him, that we're used to seeing him make when Drew Brees was at the helm. And I think I think some fresh blood might be good for Derek Carr as well. So I'd be interested in what the Saints can get from Michael Thomas, especially when it comes to uh, wide receivers, maybe a third-round draft pick, something like that. 
Yeah, Lord knows there would be bitters because as we've talked about, even if you've had a bad experience or a tougher experience with something as of late, there will be some team right. willing to take a chance. So that'll be interesting to see if that's one of the next dominoes we start talking about here in the coming weeks. But Brandon, now is not the time for that conversation. Now is the time to ask you, do you know what time it is? I do, Mike. And it is time to to sing. Okay, you ready? And I know she'll be the death of me, at least we'll both be numb. And she'll always get the best of me, the worst is yet to come. But at least we'll both be beautiful and stay forever young, this I know. She told me don't worry about it She told me don't worry no more We both know we can't go without it She told me you'll never be alone oh, oh, oh. I can't just stand in the third with you But I love it But I love it Oh I can't just stay in the third with you But I love it But I love it Oh Clean out <sighs> Few people have done more for the common public discussion of cocaine than The weekend. Like before Cocaine Bear I... made that happen The weekend just had us casually referencing being high on coke Hey, he had those white bags uh, and white lines on his back, just really just uh, pushing the narrative forward, almost shoveling the snow, if you will, uh, doing the hard, dirty work uh, to make sure that cocaine is on the top of people's minds and noses. Uh, snowplow driver of the weekend helping you get ready to go if Brandon helped you get ready to go make sure you download subscribe rate review Gojo leave us a five star rating and a review tell him what a great job he did uh, Brandon let's get to this that and the third three quick headlines to get us out of here this one's an update on what we talked about so much yesterday the situation with John McGrant and the Grizzlies since our podcast yesterday it was elaborated on that his uh suspension not suspension his time away from the Grizzlies would actually be indefinite at this point not the original two games reported and now we've got an update police in Colorado said on Monday that they're investigating John Morant's actions from that weekend in the video he posted on Instagram live while at a nightclub um, obviously this will look into whether he had broken any gun laws which is something I heard some people start whispering about so legally for him and what that could mean potentially punishment wise obviously something to monitor but Brandon I also heard something from Shams the other day ESPN NBA insider referencing a players only meeting that had apparently taken place before this latest incident with Morant whereas Shams describes it it was a players-only meeting led by Steven Adams, who is the elder statesman on a team that you told me doesn't have a person over 30. And while Steven yeah. Adams looks like a 45-year-old father of Vikings, he is actually 29, which is deeply terrifying. But apparently, he was the one leading the meeting, talking about how their team needed to be better and what they did conducting themselves on the road, talked about their home and road splits and them trying to avoid going out and doing a lot of these things. And according to Shams, the indication was everyone in the room kind of felt like and knew he was talking to Ja. And then after that, 
you still had this incident pop up. And so, Brandon, it's just more color fleshing out this situation. We talked about would there be someone on the Grizzlies who has the ability to step up and actually confront Ja about this? I heard Bamani Jones talking about how there's some fear in the Grizzlies as an organization because they don't want to push a young star away by coming down on mm. him too hard. But you know this, like the players only meeting things sometimes gets a rap of just being this sort of line item you check when things are going wrong and you feel right. like you got to stop and say something. But when it's actual team leadership trying to address something like this that everyone feels like they know is going on, it makes this seem a lot more like a straw that broke the camel's back situation with this latest one with Ja, where that indefinite word really means something now. Because if this has been a problem and this has been something that everyone's known is going on and no one's quite sure how to get through to him, that's a different light than, oh, this is something that happened and now we've got to react. It's a lot different if it's something that's been happening and everyone's kind of at their wits end with it. Yeah, Mike, it, that was very hard to hear because now it's very clear that John Morant does need help because if Steven Adams isn't going to cut through, through to him and he is behaving like an actual superstar diva like that can't be told what to do and when to do it in this year, 2023, when he's supposed to be on his rise. Like I, I, I'm hoping that this helps correct John Morant's trajectory as a whole, not just this season. Yeah. This just makes me wonder how long that's going to take. Cause to your point, if Steven Adams, big ass telling you something doesn't drive the message home. Like he's the only one when we talked about Shannon Sharp chirp and the Grizzlies that we went, yeah, Shannon probably doesn't want those problems. Those 29 year old gigantic problems. If that dude who is one of the veteran leaders on that team isn't getting through, or there's that feeling it's not getting through. You have to wonder not only how long this is going to take, if this is somewhat of a conversation that's already been being had, even if now it might be more directly, but also what's at stake is a lot more because now this is something where if there's frustration from other people on the team, now you're talking about how this affects the core of your basketball roster that you've been building around John Morant. And so right. you want it better for the person. You want it better for a franchise that feels like it had been one of the young, exciting teams in the league we could get going but all of this does seem to extend the timeline of what it might take if this team meeting and this players only meeting is something that is in the background again, according to Shams uh, reporting yesterday. Brandon, let's get to uh, that and get some college football. Um, Spring practice underway for the Texas Longhorns this week. Ooh. And after the first spring practice, Steve Sarkeesian said that all positions are up for grabs. Classic coach stuff. Love that one. Uh, but... <laughs> It spring got it. just by the way for everybody nobody wins or loses jobs in spring football the players all want to get through spring football and I think honestly most of the coaches are just trying to get through spring football because they either already know who's going to be in those spots or understand that that stuff's really going to be decided after the summer session and once you get into camp like it's true Mike I had a great I had a great spring football game oh so good I don't know if it helped me see the field next year maybe a little bit but yeah, not as much as it should have. 
it's 15 practices against each other that all really suck. And so, yeah, all the jobs are up for grabs, <laughs> including starting quarterback, though, which is where it gets interesting. Uh, Quinn Ewers, the incumbent, who was the starter last year uh, outside of a couple of games missed for injury. And Arch Manning, obviously, the uh, nephew of Peyton and Eli rolling into town as the hot new king on campus. Um for Sarkeesian, he said, I'm not worried about who's going to be on the cover of what magazine next week. I'm more focused on is each guy focusing on what they need to develop and the best player they can be. Quinn has an entire year head start, but I don't want to hold Arch back. I want to see how far this thing he can take this thing and what it can look like. Brandon, I will be stunned if we kick off this season. I haven't looked to see who Texas starts the season against. I would be stunned if Arch Manning is not the starter for Texas going into this year for a number of reasons. But most notably, Texas, with a very well-known, very active booster and alumni core and one that is bordered on toxic for the majority of our adult lifetime, I don't know what world you're going to be able to sell anyone but Arch Manning trotting out there given what a recruiting coup it was to get him in the first place. Yeah, I have a feeling that if, Arch Manning is on the front cover of any of these magazines. That's probably a good indication of who's going to be starting for Texas against Rice September 2nd. And that's just the warm-up game because they got Alabama coming into town on the 9th. Or they're going to Alabama on the 9th uh, to face our our friend Tommy Reese and and friends. So, yeah, I, I think between opening with Rice, then Alabama, then Wyoming... That seems like it's perfect for a, a, a high-profile quarterback to get some licks in early. Yeah, I mean, and for how close we saw that game, I think Quinn Ewers got hurt in that Alabama game Alabama, last yes. year, if I'm not and that mistaken. that backup was great. Yeah, Hudson Card, who had played ball, for, who had played yeah. ball for them before, but that was a game they, by all accounts, could and should have won. The refereeing became far yeah. too big a story of that game, but. Brandon, I just look at the whole machine, and that's not even to get into what we think the NIL compensation is there, how those things Mm. may affect and drive some of the decision made in college football, and the transfer portal. Like, there is always that idea. In a perfect world, if you're Texas, Quinn Ewers continues to take big strides forward and is your starter and balls out this year. And then, because he was a transfer player, he would be three years removed, he has a great season and goes to the NFL draft, and then you get to preserve the red shirt for Arch Manning and trot him out next year. But... There ain't a lot of perfect that exists in this sport. And the thing that I'm sure people are constantly going to worry about, and we don't know much about how Arch Manning deals, his whole recruiting trail, and that process was largely quiet. The Manning family wanted it to be that way. They didn't want all the hoopla around this because they understand what cachet the name carries. So we don't know what he would do in the situation where if he's not the starter, does the portal become an option after the season? Is that something you're worried about in Texas if you don't get him on the season early? All that to be said, again, I just think this ends up with Arch Manning as the starting quarterback. But we'll wait and see as the videos, I'm sure, will start to pour out from in and around Texas spring practice, whatever the media is allowed to get to as we get our first looks at him. Not just losing his ID on campus, as has been the only real contact we've had with Arch since he got on Texas's campus. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian wouldn't lie to us, would he? A college football coach lying to us? 
Never. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third. Speaking of people who it feels like may have lied to us. Um, so Rich Eisen, uh, famed NFL Network draft, <laughs> draft host, went to the Combine, obviously, this last week. He was the voice that you heard calling a lot of it. And on the Rich Eisen show on Monday, went through the top five rumors that he heard over the course of the Combine weekend. And you can imagine some of them about Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, but two that were of particular interest to me. One was that apparently former Chargers and Colts quarterback Phillip Rivers was calling up teams like the 49ers at the end of last season who had injured quarterbacks and were getting ready for postseason runs, seeing if they were feeling a little bit froggy after he got done with his coaching season at the high school ranks. The other was that Tom Brady may not be done and to keep your eyes potentially on the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I can't not love that. Wow. I want to hate it. I'm not going to lie. You had me in the first half on that. (laughs) I want to hate it. I want to like, but Mike, how great would it be for, I mean, I put yourself in my shoes. Eight-year-old Carter, finally understanding the game. This is five years from now. And I tell him, and he's like, oh, Tom Brady's retiring. And I'm like, no, son, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> the, the seas will part. And he'll figure out a way to be on some team, some roster, holding a clipboard, possibly throwing a football. Like, I love the fact that we cannot trust Tom Brady's words when he says that he is done playing football. It's amazing. It's like, I don't know why. It's not comforting for you. I mean, to know that there's something that we can rely on. All this tells me is that apparently that conversation about him doing stand-up didn't go very well. It's like, well, if I can't do comedy, I might as well play football. You guys tried to take away this thing that I love, and now I got to go back to football. He's like, he's in the same meeting. They're like, Tom, we understand that your teammates think you're hilarious in the locker room. We just don't know if it's going to translate to the stage where he's like, well, I'm going back to the locker room where they think I'm funny. (laughs) So you're saying my teammates want me back? Fine, I'll go. Like, I feel like Tom Brady in every conversation he's having in the offseason is just looking for any avenue back to football. Anything like that that he can somehow work into. Oh, you, you think I should play again? And what are the people that love him going to say at this point? They're all scared to death. I mean, meanwhile, he's so connected to football, just being a commentator, he's waiting for the biggest bag ever handed to someone in that chair. And he's just he's just itching to throw a pigskin. Tom Brady, and I guess to an extent, Philip Rivers. Now, it is interesting that Philip oh, Rivers Phillip. was ultimately told no. And like, you know. Philip. Man, Watching one of his like peers and Matt Ryan, shouldn't that be enough? Like, man, you don't want to come back here and get hit like this. It's not going to yeah. be sweet out here for you. You're not going to enjoy like. Listen, and also the the talking shit with with bleeping your own cuss words, the BT cuss words. It's just it's just not of this time. 
We we don't need it anymore. He's literally old man Rivers at this point. We we do not need you. <laughs> old man Rivers and Tom Brady coming back in 2023. <laughs> oh man, it, it, I tell you what, the sports media industrial complex would gladly thank Tom Brady for giving us yet another cycle of wild bullshit to talk about. Those Tom Brady career retrospectives that they had in the can and unleashed last year. I, I mean, you want to talk about old takes exposed? Good night. Uh, the Dolphins need him. That would be perfect. McDaniels, that would be perfect. I mean, Tua needs Tom. Man, I got that's a whole other conversation. By the way, Tua Tua Tonga Vailoa has been through enough at this point. Now he's got to wake up and get text messages about this shit. If you feel like you've been through enough at this point listening to this podcast, good, it's over. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.